Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the WordPress Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick, and I've got another chick on the show today. Yeah, I'm so excited, not in terms of domain or anything, but just another female. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure why this has tended to be very male-centric. I'm just realizing that right now, so I apologize for that, ladies. Um, my guest today is Erin Flynn. Erin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I am too. And I love this is it's so funny. I, you know, I share with my audience, I love connecting with people through other people and was connected to you uh, th- from Curtis McHale, who is just an awesome human being. Um, so, you know, when those connections come, it's like, yeah, you got to take the ball and run with it. And you were very patient with my rescheduling. So thank you for that. <laughs> Not a problem at all. Um, so we're going to just go ahead and jump right in. So for everybody listening, you know, I am just a, a big believer on that sort of journey to the entrepreneurial path. So before we get into your business, can you share sort of what led you here and, and what made you start your business? Yeah, I actually, I've been making websites since 1999. Uh, I started off in front page at 13 years old, making Sailor Moon fan sites <laughs> And, uh, you know, just made like my own stuff, my own personal websites where I shared, you know, whatever it was before blogging was actually a thing, you know, so I'd be like, here's my cat, here's a picture of my cat. And I'll tell you a funny story. And, you know, just random stuff like that when I was a kid. And then I did like a few random like freelance gigs uh, as, as a young adult and teenager. And finally, I had a terrible job. I went to college and then, you know, I went into the adult world thinking, all right, I've got a degree and I'm going to, you know, work for somebody and it's going to all be great. And it wasn't (laughs) at all. It, It was all a bunch of lies. And it was just I was absolutely miserable in my job and to the point where I just quit and I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a business. I didn't have anything. And one of the friends that I had made in that job called me up a couple of weeks after we had both quit at the same time. Uh, she had got employment and her employer needed a website. And she knew having, you know, been friends with me that I made websites. So that started basically everything. I mean, I, I already knew how to make websites, but that started the whole business part of it. I made every mistake you could possibly make in running a business and finally figured it out. And now I have uh, my own web design company. Um, I'm kicking up like a whole agency to make better websites uh, as a team. And I help other web designers and developers learn to run their businesses without making the mistakes that I did when I was starting out. That is, um, there's a whole bunch of questions in there. <laughs> I love it. You know, what's funny as you were saying about, you know, building the websites and as, as a child. And it's interesting. I think the benefit of, of having technology younger and getting into it is, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not as much concern. Like kids just go do stuff. Like you just published what you wanted to share, you know, where you have a lot of adults that maybe get into this later. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen this with clients at some point. It's like, yeah, they, they built this beautiful site and they've got this business, but then it sits like with crickets and no content and, you know, nobody's publishing and putting themselves out there. And, but it, it's just, I think it's kind of, it, it's fascinating. Do you feel that that kind of, that getting into it so young, did you ever have any hesitancy in publishing and putting yourself out there? Not really. Uh, I, I think that I just grew up doing that. I mean, this was the days where like I, I grew up on the internet and so you would just put stuff out there and, good God, looking back, it's so embarrassing all the stuff that I shared. But there wasn't like this filter that maybe people uh, who were a little bit older would realize, hmm, maybe that's not something I should share with millions of people. And so that's something that I actually had to develop over time. And so now maybe I'm a little bit more reined in, but I still am very much, uh, if I think of something that I want to do, I just go do it. I make it happen. Uh, when I started my Facebook community, I saw two web designers talking on Twitter about how they wish there was a community for web designers where they could talk and, you know, discuss the industry problems and they didn't know of any and I didn't know of any. So I said, okay, well, here's a Facebook group. Let's all get in there and start chatting. And it was literally within five minutes and it turned out working out really well, but I just 
do things and I worry about, I guess, how it will all fit into place later, which is maybe good, maybe bad. But I basically just put it out there and see how it works and make adjustments. Well, for what it's worth, my two cents, that's awesome. I mean, because at some point I, I see a lot of people that get very stuck in the planning and, and idea phase and the strategy. And it's like they never implement. And, you know, I think in, in terms of that, and I'm, I don't know if you have any stories to, to share along this line, but in terms of just putting something out there, I think if you're transparent with, let's just do this and see, see what sticks, see what works. You know, most people are super respectful when you're transparent in terms of how you're doing it and why you're doing it. That's exactly how I approach everything too. So I, it's never had like a bad like repercussions for me because I'm always like, I'm going to test this out. We'll see how it works. And if it ends up being terrible, we're just going to sweep it under the rug and pretend it never <laughs> happened. But uh, I approach all of business as an experiment because it is there. There are certain formulas, I guess you can follow that the pros do and that you can have, you know, success with them to an extent, but every business is different from, you know, how you approach it and what your actual business is and your personality. So you have to test, you have to put things out there and see uh, if, if a community works for you and your audience, or if it doesn't, and then you go do something else. Yeah, I think a lot of people get really in their heads. If, if I do this, it's forever and mm -hmm. they get fearful of it. And I want to talk to you a little bit about your membership down the road. So we'll save a little bit of that. Um, but so, all right, so you've got the web design and you're, you're going towards an agency, but you also have products and you know, work, courses and mm -hmm. workshops. So when did you implement that? And what was your first, your first workshop or book? My first product was my email templates. I have uh, basically email templates that you can send when you have a bad client. And that came about, I think, late 2014. Uh, a lot of people in the Facebook community that I had created and um, just around the Internet were talking about problem clients and they didn't know how to respond to what their clients were telling them. And I, I majored in communication and I'm pretty good at writing emails. And when you are not actually the person in that situation, it's very easy to take that step back and say, okay, here's what logically needs to happen. Uh, when you, when you are actually the person with the angry client, it's harder, which is why the email <laughs> templates come in handy. Uh, but I kind of just put together a collection of every scenario that I had seen up to that point and I slapped a price tag on it and then I sold several hundred copies and I was really surprised at how well that did but obviously it met a need and uh, that's kind of how I got known for dealing with bad clients. Okay I'm like that that's an awesome segue because that was totally my next question and <laughs> you're gonna have to bear with me because this is fresh I'm literally uh, just winding down the last of my service work ever period done. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's it, especially considering it was never something I wanted to do in the first place. Um, but you know, it, life experience and you learn, I'm like, where, where is my best value? And it, it's, it's not there. So mm -hmm. <laughs> first of all, I love the, you know, what made you decide to offer that. And so, but the, in looking at your side, I was looking at the screen, prevent and fire, because, you know, it, it's, it's a very interesting space. And Obviously, I'm talking about your two cents. It's it's crazy to me that you see people behaving in a way, clients, that you don't see them behaving in the quote unquote offline world, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of the examples I always give. It's like, well, you know, you don't you don't have tile put in your house and then call the tile company and say, well, will you come show me how to do it in another room now? Right. Like that's yeah. included because I paid for the tile or thanks for the great meal, chef. Now come to my house and show me how you made it. Well, that's included, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's, it's the strangest thing. So I, I, in terms of, in, in terms of dealing with difficult clients and whatnot, because what I loved about your screen prevent fire, and if you could, um, break down those a little bit, I loved it because nowhere in this does it say, you know, put up with. <laughs> so can you just share the whole kind of philosophy behind that? Yeah. So honestly, I don't, well, in regards to what you're talking about, I think that web design development tends to be very undervalued, as do a lot of people who even who just put themselves out there as freelancers, because the term freelancer itself um, and Brennan Dunn has gone way like into this. So um, if you if you know who he is, he has all sorts of things about not using the term freelancer. He's I've had that, him on the show, so I'll link to that. For okay. this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you know, very well. Um, but so. 
just using that term sets the expectation that you are really not worth paying for or not worth paying a lot for. So that is like the very first thing that in terms of setting expectations with your clients, you need to position yourself as an expert, not just somebody who sits in their pajamas all day and kind of just like taps away on a keyboard and it's no big deal. So that, uh, what once you position yourself as that expert, you get a lot fewer clients who expect you to then give them these things for free because they actually see that you are a professional and they're willing to pay. Um, but the overall philosophy is that you are a professional, you are an expert, and you are running your own business. You don't have to put up with crap from clients. You don't have to be treated poorly. So when you properly position yourself and you set those expectations and boundaries with your clients, then it's very easy to simply say, no, that's not included. It's going to cost this much more. And the clients that you have then attracted will say, oh, okay, then I will pay more or it's not that important to me. And they will make that decision as opposed to being, oh, can't I just have it? It's not that big a deal. It takes you five minutes, Mm -hmm. which I think we've all had because they think something's simple when it's not. Yeah, they totally do. You know, the screening is 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 key, right? And I think that if you, one of the things that I just absolutely adored when talking with Curtis and he's like, no, I just do calls on Tuesdays. And someone says, well, yeah, but you're not available for three weeks. He's like, yep. <laughs> no qualifying. Know, no explanation. I'm like, you're my hero. <laughs> I know. He's he's really good. Curtis is great with his boundaries. Really? You know, and I think the challenge is a lot of people have when they're doing this is if they're getting started, there is a fear, right? So I, I don't know if you want to talk to the mindset piece of this because a lot of people get caught up in, yeah, but I need the money or I need this work or whatever it is. In my experience, the more you say no, the better the client, the right people show up. It, 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 it might sound esoteric, but you don't have the space to work with better clients if you're constantly working with crappy clients. I definitely agree with that, but I will add as a caveat that you need to work with those bad clients to realize where your boundaries are when you're new, because you might not know them. If you've just like started your business and you haven't like gotten into your routine yet and figured out all of your boundaries and what's okay with you and what's not, then you kind of do need like at least like two bad clients to make you realize like, this is not how I want to run my business. So I need to do this instead, because I can tell people all day long what their boundaries should be, but there's always going to be, I can tell people like, no, after 5 PM you're done working, but there are always going to be those people who are like, no, I actually like working at 2 AM and I don't mind if clients call me then there are those people. So everybody's boundaries are different and everything that uh, annoys them or could be a deal breaker for them can be different. So I would actually say those bad clients are an important part of your business as long as you can realize what was wrong with, you know, working with them, like where it went wrong so that you can fix it for the future and start attracting actually good clients and put those boundaries and expectations in place. Huge. That, that's awesome. Because it's funny when I think back to doing this thing I did for years that I never wanted to do. Um, the, the, one of the things I never realized, I, I'm not a phone person. And it's funny, because I love <laughs> podcasting. I love talking. But I, I, I had a little moment in real estate years and years ago. And I was I was just doing loans and before everything crashed. And then it was like, well, God, I may as well get the commission on the house too, right? No, no. <laughs> I'm like, don't call me at seven o'clock to say you want to go see a house tonight. No, no, you know, and that should have been my, my, my indicator, but it really was because there are, there are some people that really want their handheld and get on the phone with you all the time. And it's just, so you do. I, I totally agree with you. It's like you have to really get clear on the contrast of what you don't like <laughs> before mm-hmm. you can create those boundaries. And the phone thing is actually really big. There are some people who say, like, you need to get on the phone to your clients, let them call you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, if somebody wants to talk to me, they need to schedule it. <laughs> and I need to know at least 48 hours in advance. Mm-hmm. And I need to like prep for things. Um, but I will allow calls, you know, like during the project, like up to, you know, a certain number. And then there are other people who don't want to do calls at all, like period. And that's fine, too, as long as you know that and you tell clients up front, like what what the boundaries are going to be with things like calls. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as time went on, I got clear and it was like, I, I didn't include calls. And if people want it, a lot of people jump on the training and show me how to do this. And it's like, well, it's mm-hmm. not included. But at the same time, I, you know, it's one of those, I probably sound like the most miserable person. Like, <laughs> don't talk to me. Um, but it, 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 it you, I know how I work best. I, that's mm-hmm. all. And so it comes down to like making sure, like you said, scheduling and clients reach out. And I'm like, here's a calendar link. And I said it, here's a 30 minute calendar link. We're not yes. doing, you know, two hours, whatever. Um, so in terms of that, can we talk a little bit about, um, firing clients? Yes. <laughs> because I think, you know, I, my catalyst for this truly was a client that I fired. Um, and I fired her twice. I should have listened to myself the first time and I didn't, but it was one of those, you know, so it was, it was a big project and it, that was the, my, the, the precursor to you got to get out of this work, but I would love to hear how you approach that, how you guide people. Yeah. I'm going to sound like a terrible person because I love helping people fire clients. <laughs> And I know that sounds horrible, but the thing is, is that most of the time when you fire a client, it's not like you really want to, like you want the money, you don't want to go through the hassle, but it's something that you need to do. If it's to the point where you need to fire them, it's because the situation has typically gotten so bad that it's really not salvageable. Um and like in the early stages, you can definitely salvage things. If there's just a problem with they want more phone calls than you want to give them, then you just sit down and say, look, this is how many are included. Uh, we need to only do them on Tuesdays or whatever. You set those boundaries and typically things are fine. But then if the person still calls you like six times a day, including Sundays, that's when you might have to fire them <laughs> once you've, you know, tried to say, like, set your boundaries and reestablish those. And they're just completely ignoring them. Or I've had um, people that I've helped where clients are, you know, cussing them out and even threatening them, um, local clients, which is terrifying. Um, so at that point, you know, I'm like, you need to call the police. <laughs> That's like a really serious issue. Um, but the thing is, is that once there's like a line and everybody's line is different. But once there's that line that's crossed where you are just done with the project, you don't care anymore, then you have just got to get it off of your plate. And the best way to do that is just, you know, a simple, concise, professional email where there's no room for negotiation. It's not saying I, you know, think that we can, you know, maybe fix this, but no, it's like, I'm sorry, this project's done. (laughs) Like that's it. It's over. Um, And so like I have email templates for that. I have free ones like on my blog as well um, to fire clients where it's just you explain like you're not the best fit or this isn't working out and you either give them a referral to someone else if they're not actually a nightmare client, they're more just, you know, a bad fit or, you know, if they're really terrible, you just cut it off and you move on (laughs) basically. Um, uh, the, the, the hardest part is being clear in your contracts about what happens if you cancel or fire somebody. Um, and that's what has to go into your contract. And that's that's the hardest part um, that I have found is that designers often don't have any language in their contract that allows them to end a project. Interesting. OK, before we touch on that, I want to back up a little bit. Have you. Mm-hmm is in working with people and obviously you've got the templates. I'm sure you've got some feedback and, and whatnot from your group has, are there any, I don't know if it's a common denominator or common situations that whether it's a communication or an expectation that you see people making kind of like in terms of the designer developer making mistake, the, the it's a repetitive issue you see that people make that might prevent the, the relationship from going sideways. The, you know, the biggest mistake I see people making is just taking on any job because they need the money and then they're not, they're not the right fit. And that ends up not being, you know, great for the client because they're not getting a designer who is excited about their project and who is doing their best work. And that all just kind of trickles down. It makes the communication like, you know, the designer opens their email. They're like, ah, it's that client again. Like, I'm not excited about this. I just need them to pay me. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I'm sure we've all been there at some point. But that attitude 
trickles into everything. So communication gets sloppy um, and, you know, kind of snippy. And then, uh, you know, you don't explain things as well because you just feel like you can't be bothered because you're, you're not excited, you know, to uh, present your work in a good way. So maybe you send the mock-up and you say, here's the mock-up. Tell me what you think, as opposed to explaining, you know, your thought process and how you're really trying to help them uh, with their business. So everything just kind of trickles down into this um, lack of enthusiasm that sets the whole project up for failure and leads to everything else falling apart from expectations to communication to the project being done as well as it should be. That is so huge. (laughs) I'm sitting there listening to that. I'm like, that was me. That was me. <laughs> well, and and we all have been there. And I, I'm not saying that I haven't because I mean, there have been times where I'm like, I really need to pay my rent. I guess I'll work on this website. I have no interest in. And that well, and that's just it. It's it's interesting. Like, it's, I've had to like do this check of, all right, is your ego that big? Like, where's the issue here? Because part of it is is that I prefer the marketing and the content strategy piece mm-hmm. of it. I always have, and so people would get excited because they see, and I I am a marketer. They see me creating content, so that's the easy sell. And it's like I go from the expert to the hired help, and then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> you know, and so you have to find like you're talking about because it's like I st- you start thinking in terms of there is a big difference between here's here's a few mockups and let me explain to you why we did it, you know, that kind of thing where which keeps you positioned as the expert as well. And you become this invaluable resource. Yes, exactly. And I think that's also a mistake, not necessarily that people make always from lack of interest in a project, but also from lack of experience. And that that also can quickly, like you said, turn a designer into hired help when you don't explain the strategy or, you know, the thought process behind like why you chose a certain color or why you laid out a page like the right, like the way that you did. And then that immediately makes the client go, oh, well, how about we just change all of that? Because apparently it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And do you find in terms of like in your group or, or with some of your customers that uh, I mean, for your workshops and stuff that some of these are simple changes. Cause again, like I'm hearing a lot of this and I know I've been in those positions and so much of it is just a mindset. And because there's this presumption, you know, uh, or an assumption that you're thinking, well, they're not going to want if I have to charge more for this because of my time, as opposed to really simply positioning the project correctly from the beginning. Yes. I think that's honestly like one of the biggest things because it's, I'm trying to think like how to, how to, how to put my thoughts into words right now. Um, but it was kind of a wordy question. I do that often. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it it is all about properly positioning yourself as that expert. Um, and when the client sees you as, you know, more than a pixel pusher as more than somebody who's just making something that looks pretty and you're actually doing something that will help them grow their business. It just, it, 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 makes everything so much smoother because you become more of an ally or or a partner to your client as opposed to, I don't know, someone they can hire off of, you know, Fiverr or Upwork and just tell them what to do without having that expert input. Yeah, it's... And again, again, I go back to your initial uh, comments in terms of you have to sort of have those situations and circumstances to get clear. You know, I I remember spending hours Skype sharing, screen sharing and changing Mm -hmm. CSS with people. And I was like, okay, you are so in the hole on this project, (laughs) you know, but often people don't think of it. Um, Any fun stories you want to share with nightmare clients that were were changed around? And I know this is just throwing it and I just I can feel people (laughs) who have been there (laughs) and want to know they're not alone. Um, let's see. I don't, I haven't had too many horrible clients in a, in a while and knock on wood, (laughs) Um, but I've gotten pretty good at my screening, but in terms of terrible clients, I I will tell you the worst. It's not really a fun story, but I will tell you (laughs) the worst client I ever helped somebody deal with was, I, I kind of touched on it, a local client this woman had who became like a stalker and like threatening her because she didn't want to finish or didn't want to continue working with him. 
And like she had to call the police and like all sorts of stuff because he was super creepy. But the thing was, was that I think especially women, we tend to be people pleasers and she was still trying to make him happy. And I'm like, this is not okay. Period. Cut this off. Get the police involved. If you have to this, no, like all communication needs to cease. So I helped her write, you know, an email that said like, don't ever contact me again or, uh, you know, the police will be called. And, you know, I, I used to work for a prosecutor. So I gave her information <laughs> to, like set up or like get a restraining order. Um, so but I mean, that's how crazy client situations can get. That's like the extreme. Um, the more fun ones are just <laughs> are, are nowhere near that. They just tend to be, um, you know, like somebody has a problem with a client and, uh, they're like freaking out about it. And I say, well, why don't you, instead of going back and forth on email, where clearly you guys are miscommunicating, why don't you hop on Skype for five minutes? I know you don't like calls, but schedule a call, get on Skype and talk about this. And then typically they come back and say, yeah, we totally worked it out. So things can be as simple to resolve as changing up the communication method uh, when things are you know, getting too confusing with the client. Huge points. And it's funny that you say that because... It is. You get to a point and it's a lot easier in email or when you're typing, especially from a place of anger <laughs> to, yes. to, to say things or to respond. And there's, it's, it's open for interpretation. You may have intended one thing and it, and it comes out or the person receiving it. You have no control over how that's being received. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think my, my point in asking for the story is, you know, when you're in it, you feel like, what am I doing wrong? I'm the only person that has <laughs> this challenging client, but it is, I mean, <laughs> it was, I, I don't know what it was the other day. I had great client, but it was a, it was just, I was being funny about something. So I go to YouTube and I'm searching, you know, mm-hmm. web design clients from hell or whatever. And <laughs> you no, you're not alone. Anybody who's feeling that just go. And it's just a little bit of comic relief at the end of the day. But at some point you have to decide, and like you said, those boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to say there will be no further dialogue. Yes. Period. And that doesn't even have to be like the extreme, like that I was talking about with her, but you know, it's not that uncommon for people to tell me that they have a client like cussing at them in emails. And I'm like, I would, I don't put up with that. Like I, I give them, you know, one chance. I say, I'm not going to talk to you if you continue speaking to me this way It's just not happening. And if they don't fix their attitude, basically it's done. The project's canceled. We're over. Um, and it's never you know, gotten to that point for me, but I have had to correct clients a couple times. It's amazing what, you know, being behind a screen will allow people to say to you that they would never say to your face. Uh, but just being very clear that you're not putting up with that. And if they continue that behavior, the whole thing's over and they're not getting their money back really shapes people up pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. I mean, I learned a long time ago, deposit is non-refundable. Um, yeah. But, you know, in terms of going back to the screening process, I mean, it, it ties into the the language you use in your email. So if you start off with it, you're much less, which sounds like it's where you are, right? I mean, you you position the, the project and you establish a, a style of communication that says, I'm the expert, you've hired me to do a job, we're going to do it, and this is how we're going to do it. Yes. And you know what's kind of funny, just slight, like kind of related to that was, um, I know several people, and this works for them, uh, several designers and developers who uh, have more, I guess, bold brands where, you know, they drop F-bombs and things like that. And I tried that for like a couple months. And the clients that I got were very rude. (laughs) Or I felt like they were constantly being rude to me. And so I realized really quickly that that type of branding was not going to work for me. It was not setting up the communication style that I wanted to have. Like, I don't want people, you know, basically cussing and all of the emails. It just doesn't make me feel good. Other people obviously doesn't bother them at all. And that's fine. But if you know uh, the types of conversations you like to have, then that's a really good starting place. You know, like get your branding set up that way and make sure your communication matches that. And if you don't want, like if you want your clients to be clear and concise, then write your emails clear and concise and they tend to mirror your behavior and your communication style as the project goes on. So by, you know, like week three or four, typically you guys are communicating like completely in sync. Yeah. And so if if you can establish that style as well as your expertise early on, then it 
just makes everything run much more smoothly and it attracts clients who will respect your boundaries and the way that you communicate. There are so many nuggets in there. I love this. It's, I, it goes back even to when you communicate. I loved your point about people who were up at 2 a.m. And, you know, and I used to get so offended when people would email me at random. I'm like, don't respond right now. Just no one's asking you for a response. And it, and it's just or on the weekend, it's like if you respond on the weekend, they're going to expect you to respond on the weekend. So the, it, it's such a learning process. I love it. I want to shift a little bit to the Unstoppable Expedition. So was this uh, I know this is your membership. Now, did this initially did this start from the Facebook group? This kind of yes, it started from the Facebook group. I had done a couple workshops uh, that my audience seems to love. They love the, you know, watch it and get everything done in like an afternoon or a weekend because most of us do work on our businesses on the weekend as opposed to during the week when we're busy with clients. And so I had released previously really big uh, courses and uh, it, it was too much information. It was too, nobody wants to spend six weeks doing something. They want to spend, you know, three hours and be done. And so when I started the membership, I did it with the idea that I was going to break everything down into digestible chunks that people could get done on their own schedule and kind of pick and choose what they needed. So if they need help with uh, getting clients, they'll be able to just work on those things as opposed to having to, you know, pay for a huge entire course that covers everything under the sun. I it's it's fascinating that you say that I have totally become obsessed with like the mini course, essentially, mm-hmm. that I would rather take one thing and just drill down where I can watch it. Um, it was interesting, I had subscribed to um, a membership site from a, a marketer who's been in this space for like 15 years. Great guy. I totally like his style. He's, he's not smarmy or anything. Um, and he has this membership site, but I went in and there was, and it's a great, it's, I don't know, like 39 bucks a month or whatever, but there's, there's so much content in there and it's, it go anywhere from Facebook ads to podcasting to, you know, creating your course to setting up a membership. But all of the videos were at least an hour long. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this is making me crazy. (laughs) There is no way, you know, I'm not going to binge watch training, you know, and, and so it it really, that digestible element um, was huge uh, for me. I mean, as a learner, and don't you think that, I don't know, it's interesting. And I want to talk to you a little bit about because you're using Teachable. Yes, I'm using Teachable. Um, yeah, you know, and so I think it obviously the online learning space is just getting bigger and there's more platforms and opportunities. Um, so what was your go, let's back up. So you had the, the first workshop and what was that? The first one I did was the intro packet workshop, which is all about setting up expectations and boundaries with clients and letting them self screen themselves before you even send them a proposal. <laughs> That's awesome. And did you originally do that? So how did you deliver the course? I think a lot of people I'm asking because, um, you know, course creation, again, is something that most people want to do. So, you know, what was your process for that? The original one that I did was actually a live webinar. And I did it that way so that I could get feedback and get people to ask questions in real time and make sure that I was covering everything that they needed. And then later I did re-record it so that all of the tech problems and stuff was cleaned (laughs) up and and, and made much nicer. And so now I do pre-recorded workshops that people can watch and they can ask questions in the Facebook group. And if, you know, there get to be enough questions or enough common questions, I will either go back and add to the workshops or redo them if there's, you know, too much confusion, which there hasn't been. But I will, you know, always keep track of what people are saying about each workshop so that I can kind of tweak it as needed. Because the nice thing about it being so short is that it's not that big of a deal if I need to go back in and add, you know, two minutes talking about something else. It's not that big a deal to go edit. Now, and and from that, uh, the first workshop, was that based on the feedback and discussion you, that was happening in the Facebook group is why you decided to use that topic? Yes, it kind of came from more problems with clients, um, <laughs> as usual, because I was talking about like, I keep getting all of these nightmare clients. And now I can fire them because I have email templates. But how do I stop getting them in the first place? <laughs> you know, it's I just it, it's so fascinating. I mean, people are people, you know, there's this like psychological dynamic to this that is is totally fascinating. Um, so you initially were just selling um uh, an individual workshop. And then Mm -hmm. when did you transition? Do all your workshops fit under the membership now? 
Yes. So the plan going forward, I had sold two workshops, the intro packet and the welcome packet workshops individually. And then I had two like bigger courses um, that I also sold individually as well as my email templates. And so now the idea going forward is that all workshops will fit under the membership and there will still be the templates will still be separate and then bigger courses will still be separate, but probably offered not like evergreen, but maybe once or twice a year. But the workshops, which are, um, you know, just something that I can typically get done in about a week are great because I can, you know, put up, um, you know, even with client work, I can put up one per month. I can see what people are struggling with and make a workshop like tailored to what the group needs and get it up as part of the membership. And so the reason I'm doing it um, membership wise is not really, um, I, I have a lot of people who cannot afford to buy each workshop individually. They're only $27, but there are a lot of new people, uh, new web designers in uh, my groups and that's expensive for them. So I wanted to do something where if they're really dedicated and they want to go in and, you know, spend $17 and get all of the workshops done in a month. I want to be able to let them do that. And if they want to stay longer and, you know, pay the monthly fee, that's great. But I really want to be able to let everybody get access that I possibly can, because my goal is to help them not necessarily to become, I don't know, ridiculously rich. I wouldn't turn on my nose at like a bunch of money, but my goal isn't. My goal is not to be poor, but. <laughs> my goal is not to be poor, but my goal is to put people first and to let my workshops be as accessible as possible um, to basically anyone who wants to watch them. So it's just a matter of going wide, really. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, and and for everybody listening, I will have links to, to everything, uh, all of Erin's products and, and, and her membership, because at $17, I mean, that is a steal. It, it truly is. I mean, it, it, that is, that's just a bargain. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of memberships. Like I was mentioning, like, oh, 39 bucks. And it's like, I have access to all this training, but <laughs> I like, just like anybody else, you're online for a while and it's like, what is this recurring payment for? Oh my God, I didn't log into that last month. What is this recurring payment for? And so you start looking at it and because this is tailored very specifically to the challenges that people are going through as they're building their business. I mean, it's not some generic, like how to build an internet marketing business. Mm -hmm. Um, So now is your Facebook group private in terms of what is, what is that for if people are interested in connecting there? The Facebook group um, right now actually is not private. It is for web designers and developers only. Um, but you can get to that one through the, I have a free membership um, as well as the paid one. And that one only has a few workshops. Like it's a, it's a nice little sample to see if you like my teaching style, but the Facebook group is part of that membership. So you can join the Facebook group for free and get help and support and join that community. And eventually we'll probably have like a, a dedicated private one for the paid a group where they can get more one-on-one attention. But right now the Facebook group's open to any web designer or developer out there. Okay, good. So again, I'll have links to the free course as well as membership. So in terms of the membership, now how long have you had, it's called Unstoppable Expedition. How long have you had the membership? This actually just launched. So the end of actually mid January was the launch um, the end of January is the end of like the soft launch. And on February is actually my plan for <laughs> fully launching it. So depending on when this airs, um, it may be a little bit less new, but it is pretty darn new. Well, this will go, this will go live in February. We're not too far out. I, <laughs> I don't have a huge queue right now of interviews. So, uh, timing will be great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the marketing piece of it. How has that been going and, and what did you for your soft launch? Did you do like a product launch, you know, the whole thing? What was your strategy for marketing and getting this out there? My soft launch strategy is honestly just to my email list. uh, For the most part, I do have it going on Twitter a little bit and you can find it through my website. Um, But what I wanted to do was I wanted to get um, my past customers, the people already on my list in to start building up that group and getting feedback from them before I, you know, really put it out there in the world is like, this is ready to go. (laughs) I wanted to uh, make sure that it was going to work properly because Teachable is not actually a membership platform. And so I wanted to work out any kinks with that um, and get feedback and just see whether people were having issues with finding things in that format or um, any tech problems that might have shown up. 
Um, and so that's it's been going very well. There have only been a few tiny glitches in terms of that. So I think we are ready now for the full launch and to basically open it up to the world and start really promoting it. Um, but basically the soft launch was come in here and let me know what the problems are. That's great. Well, and, you know, again, I have found that the transparency of saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, this is what I'm going to charge. Let's do this together. And, and, and obviously you, you planned and, and, and created, you know, the structure and whatnot. But, um, there's, there's something about sort of being that founder, that insider that people also love that. It's kind of like, Oh, I got in here first and this is great. And so, mm-hmm. um, because you value their feedback. Yes. And I, I, I love. And really, I I know um, my core audience pretty well. Like I I know the people in it. They're the the ones who tend to be very active in my Facebook group. They tend to respond to my emails when I send them out. And so I love that um, my business, this this might sound weird. I love that my business is small enough that I can really have that interaction with them. And people aren't afraid to like shoot me an email and ask a question and know that they're going to actually get a response from me. And really voice their opinions about things when it's not working because I want that feedback. I love, well, I don't love it when there's a big problem I have to fix, but I love knowing that there's a problem so that I can fix it because uh, I don't want to be putting out, you know, poor quality information or products to people. Like I, I love, um, that they're willing to go along on this ride with me and, you know, help me figure out what's working and what's not and help shape, uh, my business going forward so that it best benefits them. Yeah, that getting the feedback and just getting people to buy in early. Um, are, are you familiar with Troy Dean? I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Troy, you know, is a good friend and talking about how he's done to his different courses. That model is gold just to be able to say, let's get in here. Let's get some feedback. You also get the, you know, a little bit. Is this, you know, what is the MVP here that I can get people to buy in? Is this validation for something that people want? I did a recent survey. I, I don't know if it was. It was December, I think. And, you know, I had been thinking about doing a pretty in-depth podcasting course, and that was the last thing that people wanted. (laughs) So I'm like, well, you know, I can create a lot of just valuable content that'll, you know, convert otherwise. But it's interesting, um, and and it saved me. And then switching to a content strategy class that I said, let's build this together, and it was easy, easy peasy. Mm -hmm. Like, people jumped on it. So, you know, getting that feedback I want to ask you a little bit. So you said Teachable. Um, I have looked at that. It's not a membership platform. What made you go with Teachable? Did you look at other options? I did. Um, in fact, I had been running um, my big course and I had the workshops there as well, but I have been running my big course on the Rainmaker platform, which I love. Um, but in terms of getting things up quickly and easily, Teachable is like the easiest interface I could find. And because I want to be adding content so often, um, I like I looked at like all sorts of different um, WordPress because I love WordPress, obviously. Yeah. I mean, so I really felt like I was like doing something wrong because WordPress is kind of clunky when it comes to courses. Um, and it's great if you have like a couple big ones, you put them up and they're there and they're kind of static and you just get people in and they buy and, you know, that's it. Um, but in terms of like constantly adding content, I found there were so many steps with any WordPress option. You have to, you know, protect the videos, you have to, you know, integrate with Vimeo or something, then you have to protect the downloads, then you have to set the right member group. And if you're selling them individually, as well as part of a membership, which is what I'm doing, then you have like all of these short codes, and you have to figure out how it's going to display to, you know, each person, depending on what they have, it ended up getting very complicated very quickly. And I, I mean, I, I may eventually need to move to a different platform because like I said, Teachable is not for memberships, but the fact that I needed to test this, I needed to get this going and see if people even wanted to do the membership or if they would just keep buying individual courses was really important to me because if people would prefer to pay a monthly fee and, you know, get access to everything, then I go the membership route and maybe I stop selling things individually. If there's a mix, then I need a platform that can handle both membership and individual sales and not be clunky and confusing. (laughs) And if people only want to buy things individually, then I could do something even simpler with like easy digital downloads and, you know, like um, optimized press or something like that. So I really needed to see 
what the best, what my audience was going to buy and then figure out the best method from there. And Teachable, honestly, super easy to add content. You don't have to do separate hosting for your videos. It's literally drag, drop, and it's up. So that was the main thought behind using Teachable as opposed to WordPress. Oh, you know, it, I have looked at so many different things and um, I have Kajabi for the same reason. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can put all this stuff together, but I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's it's an interesting space. And I would sort of uh, love to hear your thoughts on the direction of all this, you know, because even in looking at um, there's so many different website builders now, there's different platforms beyond WordPress. And obviously, I still love WordPress, but I think there's a lot of options out there. And how do you think that impacts this space in terms of uh, design and development and and a business model? You know, I think that a lot of people freak out because they're concerned about website builders. But uh, there was a similar conversation in the Genesis uh, Facebook group recently. And my thought is that website builders of some sort have been around forever. I learned on one in 1999. I learned on front page. So, you know, that's a page builder. That's a website builder. And there's still obviously a need for web designers and developers. And I think that there always will be. But I do think that it shifts things a bit. You know, back in the 90s, yes, you could just know how to code. And that was enough to sell a website. But then you had to learn, you know, how to design a website website strategically, then you had to learn a little bit more about marketing. So I think that the shift is going to be more towards website strategy with the design in terms of, you know, what makes something more effective and the conversions as opposed to this looks really pretty, which we've, we've been away from for a while now, but some people are a little slow to uh, catch up with the strategy part. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, like you're not selling a website, you're selling a solution to the client's problem, which is typically more conversions of either, you know, getting people onto their mailing list or getting them to buy. That's what you're selling. So that part, you know, is is what web designers need to focus on. And in terms of development, you know, drag and drop type builders definitely, you know, make a difference. But there's still going to be the need for custom solutions. I uh, I have a client who has a e-commerce site. Oops. Um, I have a client who has an e-commerce site, and uh, she needed custom solutions like on top of everything that. WooCommerce offers like that's how crazy like her setup is. And so when you look at like those types of clients, there are always going to be the need for integrations, you know, with different things or like uh, custom code to like make different things work together. So while I think that changes, I don't think it eliminates designers and developers at all. I think it just kind of shifts the market a little bit from I can code and I can use Photoshop to I'm actually having to do something strategic now to solve a client's problem. Well, that's a great shift in that perspective in terms of even how you position it to the client. It's a, it's a matter of, you know, you're not sitting here saying, yeah, I can build this. I can build this. It's really getting into. And and the funny thing is, a lot of people prefer that consulting site. I know my in terms of my audience, you've got a lot of people that would probably consider themselves more website builders than necessarily coders, right, or developers. And so, mm-hmm. uh, like me, I, I would much rather do the consulting and strategy piece. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure, you know, perception, but is that is easier to provide a value for because you can teach because you can support a customer in making more money with their business. You're going to help them drive money, you know, and that's kind of the bottom line people. I I actually had a client, um, one of my last sites and it was like, well, we've got a Facebook page. What do we need the website for? And I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, this is going to be, (laughs) you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, you don't really own that asset. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's something in being able to position that I think. And the direction that this is going, like, I, I still think there's so much opportunity in the WordPress space in terms of even documentation and teaching and sharing, you know, how to use some of these tools that can actually increase the bottom line. Yes, exactly. And I, I feel like, I don't know, this might give me some haters, but I feel like the actual official WordPress documentation could use so much help. I'm sorry. <laughs> but sometimes I go look in there and I'm like, wow, like, I've been doing this for a long time, but I still have to like wrap my brain around this because it's like so complicated compared, like just the way it's written is not communicated the way 
I think it could be done so much better. So I think that there's tons of opportunity to improve on, you know, just even the way people learn to use WordPress, uh, because not everybody learns the same way. Amen. It's crazy. And a lot of, well, I think that's where, again, I'm not a coder developer, but I just started talking to people in an everyday language. And I'm like, well, this didn't work for me. So this is what I did. And there is, there's that element of using language that's more effective communication. It's funny. I was looking, I was working, have you ever used the Hemingway app? Yes. Okay. So (laughs) I was playing with taglines uh, for a web app that I'm partnering with on some, with somebody. And it was crazy. I was playing with taglines. I'd done all this brain dump and copy sorting. And it was like, there, I, I looked at competitors taglines and I dropped one in. It was like grade 12, too hard. Da, da, da. You know, it was, you need to bring the language down and it has nothing to do with people being stupid. It, it It's a comprehension and grasping the concept. Mm-hmm. You know, so I agree. I think there's a lot of opportunity for the documentation. Um, as we wrap up, what is, so what's on the horizon for you this year? You've, you've launched the membership and we're going to, you know, pimp that out for you here. <laughs> um, but, but what else is coming? Well, besides the membership, um, I really need to get my, so I have my agency started and I've had two clients with it already, but it's still a coming soon page. So I really need to get that in shape. And of course it being, uh, you know, my, my thing and not a client's, it's always the last thing to get done. So I need to actually go through and do all of the intro packets and welcome packets and things like that for my agency and get that fully launched because I'm really, really excited about that. Um, in terms of having an actual team where, uh, I would be the project manager, but I'd have an actual copywriter on the team that I can communicate with. And it's not going through a client and all of those things. And I'm really excited to make some amazing websites with that. And then in terms of the membership site, I'm currently uh, talking to a whole bunch of really amazing guest um, presenters who will do interviews with and they'll also do guest workshops. So for things that, uh, I'm not an expert in. I'll have somebody come in and talk about ConvertKit. I have another person coming in to talk about contracts uh, who's actually a lawyer and can give actual um, good information that, you know, won't get me sued. Um, so I'm really excited about all of the um, information that I'm going to be able to share in there and uh, just just get that really going and pr- make, a, make it a really great resource for web designers. That is awesome. Well, congratulations on everything. You are a busy, you. you are a busy lady. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that's exciting. And, and again, for anybody listening, I will have all the links to everything in the show notes. Um, I'll be emailing about this too for you, Erin, just because I think it's an amazing resource and you cannot beat the price. So thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, my advice would be to raise the price, but I understand your point. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, it, it's awesome. Thank you so much for being here, sharing everything. I know I dropped some random side note questions on you. Unfortunately, that's how my brain works. That's totally fine. I love chatting. I know I go off on tangents, so hopefully people will follow them. Absolutely. You were super clear. So again, thank you so much for being here, Erin. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, you know the drill. Just hang on a second and I will have some links for you. They, again, will all be in the show notes, but hang on and I'll have some links in the outro for you. Okay, so how awesome is Aaron, right? All right, guys, let's do this. If you want to check out, um, I, first of all, <laughs> I would recommend that you uh, jump in Erin's uh, membership because personally, I think it is a steal. Um, but she's pretty freaking awesome. And I had a ton of fun with her. So go to com, and that's Erin, E-R-I-N-E, as in excellent. Huh? That was quick, huh? Aaron E. Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N.com. Of course, the links will all be in the show notes. Um, get some help with those nightmare clients. Lord knows we have all had them. As always, guys, thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't, of course, I would love a review in iTunes. It would make my day. And again, be sure to check out Aaron's site at AaronEFlynn.com. That's it for me. Have an awesome day, guys.